wrongly dressed. But at the same time, guys, I am excited. You know, we got our vacation Bible school starting. Dinner will start at five. VBS will start at six. So if you know any kids, please go get them. You know what I'd love to happen? Many of you don't know Miss Graypell. Miss Graypell is one of the pillars of the church when I, when I consider a pillar of the church. Um, she was a dear saint for many years, a big advocate for VBS. She used to go around. She was the bus ministry of Harmony Grove before we had a bus. And she would go around and pick up kids. Well, when she didn't have enough room, she would pop the trunk on her car and put them. She didn't close it now, but she would put them in the trunk of her car. You'd go to jail for that now. But she was such an advocate for VBS. I'm not saying do that, but get them here. That's all I am going to say. I do want to also thank everybody who helped us Friday. And we didn't have much to do Friday because Wednesday, all of this took place in a very short period of time. All the other rooms took place. I'm kind of tempted to stand under that. But I'm not going to. Um, but I want to thank everybody for your help. Uh, guys, be in prayer for us. Be in prayer for us. Our desire is for children to come to know Christ. Our desire is for this week to be not about Harmony Grove, but about Jesus. So we ask that you be praying for us as we minister to these children. If you want to come help, please come. We'll plug you in where you can, where we can. Um, I'm a little bit amazed. Me and Brittany were talking about it this week. We were kind of worried about volunteers and having enough, and then all of a sudden we started finding out that we were having to place people in certain positions. So it's been a great week for God to show out, and I'm looking forward to what he's going to do this week. So be in prayer for us. Also be in prayer for Tommy. Um, Tommy is still on his sabbatical. We'll be on the sabbatical through next week. He will not be with us next Sunday, but he will be back with us the following Sunday. But I want you to be praying for him this week specifically, especially Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. Uh, Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday, Tommy will be at a place that I have grown to love. Uh, he will be at the Cove, which is Billy Graham's training center up in Asheville, North Carolina, for a time of retreat and a time to be poured into. A lot of times as a minister, a lot of times as a Sunday school teacher, a lot of times as anybody who spends a lot of time pouring the word out to others, we forget to be poured into. And when we are not poured into, we try to pour from an empty vessel. And it's important for our ministers. It's important for our Sunday school teachers. It's important for our small group leaders to have a time of refreshing to be poured back into. So y'all please be in prayer for them this week. So now it's time for audience participation. I get nervous when I do this because I don't know what y'all are going to say. And we're kind of going off script here. But I want to ask you a question, and I want two answers. Two answers. Besides Jesus, who is your favorite biblical hero? Who's got one for me? <laughs> biblical, son. Biblical. Biblical. All right, let's pray and dismiss. No. <laughs> Compose yourself. All right, biblical hero in the Bible. Who is your, who? Samuel. 
David, why David? Because he wasn't perfect. That's a good answer. Who else? Titus. Titus. Why Titus? Because he needed encouragement in his young ministry. He needed encouragement in a young ministry. All right, now let's go a little bit deeper. Not deeper, but off script a little bit more. Who's your favorite secular heroes? People that you admire. People who have achieved some major things in their life. People that you model your life after. Give me one. This would have been perfect for Scotty Gerard. <laughs> no, it wouldn't have. Who? who? My Why your mother? Because she was a strong Christian woman, and I didn't probably realize it until I was in my 30s. Great, great, great illustration. One more. Job. Job. That's biblical, secular. We're going back to secular now. <laughs> At least he's honest. Got to give him that. Secular hero. Give me one more. John Wayne. John Wayne. Who said John Wayne? Why John Wayne? That's good enough. That is... You know, John Wayne and Chuck Norris are the only two people that you can do that with. It's just because they are who they are. But at the same time, the reason we're going through this is because we're going to be talking about heroes today. Heroes are important to us. They're people who have done some admirable things of courage or outstanding achievements or even carried some noble qualities. There's a danger, though, with heroes, because while we admire these people, at the same time, we have to be cautious that we don't idolize these people. One of my Bible heroes is Moses. Been, me and Aaron have been going through the book of Exodus, and I love going through the Exodus. But Moses is absolutely one of my favorite biblical heroes. Secular hero, Aaron Rodgers, one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time. Y'all know that. Amen. He yeah. But Moses stands out to me. Moses had to lead in a very, very difficult time. We're going to go through some of the things that Moses went through. But I'm not the only one who holds Moses up on a pedestal. Moses is seen as one of the greatest men to ever live by Christians, by Jews, and believe it or not, even Muslims consider Moses to be one of the greatest men to ever live. People hold him in high regard. I hold him in high regard. But the scripture that we're going to be dealing with today, Hebrews chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, is specifically talking to my hero, so it's specifically talking to me, but it's also specifically talking to a group of people who had this same view of Moses. For those who are joining us today for the first time, we were going through the book of Hebrews. And the whole theme of Hebrews is Jesus is better, greater, and more than anything that we could ever want. And when we have our heroes in our mind, if we're not careful, we can put them on such a high pedestal that we idolize these heroes. 
When we idolize something, one thing we don't realize is we're sinning. Anytime you elevate something above God, it is idolatry. And our heroes can fall in that same category. Our heroes have all achieved great achievements. They've all done admirable things. And they've all had some amazing moments. But we have to come to a reality about who our heroes really are. Moses, man, he's got a list of them. Moses was a freedom fighter, a problem solver, a lawgiver, a nation builder. He was a friend of God. Moses is up there on a high pedestal with me. But even Moses had his downfalls. And if I'm not careful, even myself, I can idolize Moses more than I look to Jesus. The writer of Hebrews knew this about the people that he was writing to, but I'm going to say this. God even knew this about me. And in Hebrews chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, this is what he says. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of a heavenly calling, consider Jesus. I want you to underline those two words. However it's written in your Bible, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. He was faithful to him who appointed him, as Moses also was in all of his house. For he has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, by just so much as the builder of a house is more, has more honor than the house. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all of his house as a servant for a testimony of those things which were to be spoken later. But Christ was faithful as a son over his house, whose house we are if we hold fast our confidence and the boast of our hope firm until the end. Let's pray. Father, this morning, I just want to thank you. I want to thank you for the opportunity to stand up here and to proclaim your word. But I also want to thank you for how this sermon has already cut me in so many ways. Father, this morning, as we dig into what the scripture is saying here, as we talk about our heroes, and as we wrestle with this concept of idolatry, the sin of idolatry, I pray that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart to understand what your word has for us this morning. Father, it is our prayer that everything that is done here, through prayer, through praise, and through the proclamation of your word, God, that you are honored. So Father, this morning, as your children, speak to us. As people who are far from you, speak to us. As some who may not know you, speak to us this morning through your word. It's all these things I ask, Lord, in Jesus' precious name. Amen. One of the things that stands, stands out to me the most about Moses is Moses was faithful. Moses was faithful. If you read through the book of Exodus, Leviticus, 
Numbers and Deuteronomy. It's not a question to how faithful Moses was to not only God, but also to the people. There's one instance, it's, and it's one that just baffles me all the time. When Moses and God are having this little conversation, God is pretty upset with the people of Israel. Kind of like he's pretty upset with us a lot of times. And God looks at Moses, or tells Moses, stand out of the way. Stand out of the way, and I will take care of this, these children. And from you, from you, I will build a new inheritance. And you will go into the promised land. And you will receive my promises. And Moses, it amazes me because I don't know that I'd always have this same mindset. Moses says to God, please don't do this. Please don't do this, God. I'm faithful to you. I am your servant. But these are your people. These are your people who you have said you will make a great nation out of. These are your people who you said would inherit your promised land. So please, God, if anything, blot my name out of your book. Think about what he's saying there. Blot my name out of my book and show your people forgiveness. That is the mark of a great leader. A great leader is someone who puts his people's interests before himself. A great leader is someone who makes himself less to make his people more. And there is no doubt that Moses was faithful. It even says it here in this scripture. And faithfulness is a quality that every single one of us look for. All of us want to have faithful people around us. All of us admire people who are faithful. No matter your background, we all desire faithfulness in our marriages, in our families, in our business affairs. In our church, we desire faithfulness. In our lives, we desire faithfulness. And Moses, Moses fit this book to a T. We desire faithfulness. But one thing that we've got to realize is this. Even the most faithful people fail. Every single one of us has been in one of those situations, haven't we? People that we depend on. People that we trust. People that we have honestly poured our lives into. And we consider these people to be faithful. Somewhere down the line, a situation takes place. And that faithfulness is not there. Some of you may be going through a situation like this right now. Some of you, this situation could have been your parents. Could have been a boss. Some of you, this situation could have been your children. Or family. But when faithfulness is broken, our hearts will always be broken with us, with it. 
Moses was faithful. There's no question about it. But at the same time, Moses still failed. In Numbers chapter 20, we see a situation to where Moses is leading the children of Israel into Meribah, which is a land that is much like what we see right here. It's a land that's dry. It's a land that has no water. And you know what happens when you take a bunch of people into land with no water? They thank you. No, they start ridiculing you. They start speaking evil about you. They start whispering behind your back. They start talking about how it was so much better if we would have stayed in Egypt. At least there we had water. At least there we had a shelter. At least there we had food. It may not have been much, but we still had food. But we're here. We're here. We're here in a dry and desert land. And we have absolutely no water. This started to get to Moses a little bit. Like you can imagine it would. Now this is the same guy, needed to say. This is the same guy who begged God to forgive these people. But now Moses is getting a little agitated too. Moses goes into the tent. The tent of meetings. The cloud descends on the tent of meetings, symbolizing God coming down. And God and Moses start having a conversation. In the wording, you really can't see it, but it is evident that Moses is agitated. God, we're here. We're here in this place where you sent us. We're here right now, Lord, and your people are thirsty. Your people need water. God, being God, says, easy. Go over there and speak to that rock. Go over there and speak to that rock and water will pop forth. Moses, I don't know what type of attitude he was in when he left the tent, but it's obvious that he's outraged. He gets out of the tent and guess what he gets out to? People cheering and applauding? No, a bunch of grumbling people. Moses, in a fit of rage, takes his staff and hits that rock. Not once, but twice. God's promise, God's promise of sending water from that still took place. But God, in that moment, his heart was broken. Because Moses had been this stable leader for all these years. And in that one moment of rage, in that one moment of anger, Moses fails. A lot of people will say, well, that's kind of harsh to say that that's a failure. Moses had been for years a symbol of God to these people. He was holy. He was blameless. Even though he had murdered, he was still God's man, God's ambassador, God's person to intercede on behalf of the children of Israel for many years. And in this one moment of rage, 
like all of us have. Moses ruined it. Have you had those moments of rage? You ever got so fed up with people that you just say, I'm done? You ever have those moments in the store where you don't want to see nobody? You go around the aisle and there's somebody. You really don't want to see them, so what do you do? (laughs) Don't act like y'all don't do it. Y'all done it to me. I've seen it. (laughs) What y'all don't realize is I was going to make the U-turn first. We all, we all are guilty of it. We're all guilty of having those moments. And that's what I don't think we realize about how careful we should be with making people heroes. There's nothing wrong with admiring somebody. There's nothing wrong with looking to somebody's attributes or looking at the quality of their life and saying, you know what? That's something to take notice of. But it is absolutely wrong to want to try to be that individual. It is absolutely wrong to put that person on such a high pedestal that when they fall, you see faithfulness is gone. See, our problem is we expect absolute faithfulness. And we expect absolute faithfulness from absolutely flawed people. And when we expect absolute faithfulness from absolutely flawed people, we will always be absolutely disappointed. I'm a pastor. I'm a pastor. And a lot of times, I get put up on a pedestal. And I want to share something with you. My heart is to never be put on a pedestal. Because I know there's going to be a day that I'm going to hurt you. I know there's going to be a day that I'm going to fail. I know there's going to be a day where I'm going to mess up. Not intentionally, but I'm going to mess up. And I know it's going to be one of those moments just like Moses. I've had times like that. I've had people like Brian Mashburn who've had to calm me down sometimes. I've had moments where I've wanted to take a staff, not to a rock. <laughs> Probably been better to go to a rock, but I've had those moments. But the caution that we need to hold when we're putting people up as heroes is we got to come in knowing that these people are going to fail us. And it's not just in church. Years ago, how many people put Tiger Woods on a pedestal? How many? Millions, billions of people put him up on a pedestal. And what happened? He failed. Let's go with one a little bit closer. Because this is one that I've been wrestling with over the last couple of weeks. And I am not making a statement to despair a man. But I am going to make a true statement that even he himself made. How many people put Johnny Hunt on a pedestal? I did. I did. I put Johnny Hunt up there as one of the top pastors. This is a man who took a church from around 800 to 8,000. 
And then from 8,000 to close to 18,000. And this is a man who had done a lot of amazing things in ministry. But this is also a man in a moment of weakness. In a moment of weakness, and he even admitted it himself. Made a flawed, fatal error. Be careful. Be careful who you put on a pedestal. Because when you're up on a pedestal, it's easy to be knocked off. People will always fail you. And that's why we need to be very careful when we make people our heroes. Not only does the scripture there in verse 2 talk about how Moses was faithful. If you go on down to verse 5, it makes a clear statement there that a lot of people miss. Now Moses was faithful in all of his house as a what? A servant. You know what this means? Moses was just like us. And see, I think we miss this. I think we miss this a lot of times when we read God's word. I think we miss the fact that these people were just like us. Our Bible heroes did not know that they were heroes. You ever thought about that? They had no idea that they were heroes. They had no idea that people one day would put them up on a pedestal. But we've got to realize that our heroes are people just like us. And they're nothing more and nothing less. They breathe, they sleep. They work, they eat. They die, they, they stink. They die and they stink. They're just like us. They're no difference. They fail, we fail. They have amazing achievements. We have amazing achievements. But at the same time, they're nothing more than a servant. Sure, they're a faithful servant. But Moses was no different. Moses was a part of many amazing events in history. Many amazing events in history. Many amazing events that are not only backed up by the Bible, but are also backed up by many, many history books. Most people don't realize it, but the Exodus is marked in many history books about how the children of Israel, now they don't go into great detail, but how Israel was taken out of the nation of Egypt and started making their way to the land that they would reside. A lot of people don't realize it. There's even an account in some history books to where a majority of the Egyptian army is killed. They don't list how it was done. But for those of us who hold to God's word, we know that it was from when they crossed the Red Sea. An amazing event. Some people say, well, they crossed the sea at a part where the water was only three inches deep. Hallelujah. That's even more amazing because that means God drowned half of Pharaoh's army in three inches of water. That's pretty dang amazing. No matter how you look at it, it's amazing. 
He went up on the mountain, was given the law. He made it all the way to Mount Pisgah and got to look over and see the Holy Land. And what a lot of people don't understand is the story of Egypt, the children coming out of Egypt, is very similar to the story of our salvation. Because me and you were once enslaved ourselves. We weren't enslaved by a nation. We were enslaved by sin. And God, at the right time, sent the right messenger to come and tell us how much we needed redemption. But not only did he tell us that we needed redemption, he led us in redemption. And he led us in redemption by sacrificing his own life so that we could enter into that promised land. The story of Exodus is not just the story of Israel. It's the story of our salvation as well. Moses was great. But one thing you need to realize, Moses saved no one. A true hero, a true hero will always point you in the right direction. And if you look at the last part of verse 5, it says that Moses was faithful in all of his house as a servant for the testimony of those things which were to be spoken later. Moses was always pointing his people to the one who was building the house. I don't know if you realize it, but we live in some amazing times. Some extremely amazing times. Our eyes get to witness some things that a lot of people never got to see. How many of y'all have ever been to the Biltmore States? Beautiful, isn't it? Seen worldwide as one of the most, most visited architectural structures in the whole world. Hard to believe, just two and a half hours away, that little house, little house on a prairie, (laughs) sits there in all its splendor. And you know, if you go in, if you go in there, you'll get to hear the story about George Vanderbilt. And what amazes me is it always talks about how George Vanderbilt built that house. Let me tell you a little secret. George Vanderbilt didn't swing a hammer one time. Not one time. No, he paid for that to be built. There were many people, hundreds and thousands of people who were having all part in the building of that house. Some of them were over in a quarry just a couple of miles away, chiseling out that rock. And even then, we give the credit to the builder. We got a lot of contractors in here. We got a lot of contractors in here who've built a lot of houses. And you guys have built some amazing houses. But even for you contractors, have you ever thought about this? How would you build a house without material? Some of you are trying to figure that out right now. If there is no material, there's no way to build a house. Contractors don't build trees. Contractors don't build rock. There has to be someone who made the material first. Moses was always pointing the people 
to who was providing for their needs. Even in his anger, even in his anger after he struck that rock and water popped from it, he still gave God the glory. Most of our heroes today, they don't point to God as the supplier of everything that they are, do they? They point to years of training. They point to discipline. They point to perseverance. But most of them, even my quarterback hero, won't point you to God for their success. As we draw this to a close, the one statement that caught me more than anything in this whole text is found in verse number one. And this verse has been scratching, causing me to scratch my head for the last three weeks. But in verse number one, I want you to listen carefully what it says. Therefore, my holy brethren, who's the writer talking to? He's talking to believers. And you say, Scotty, how do you know that? Partakers of a heavenly calling. Those are people who are partaking in this. But look what he says next. Consider Jesus. Wait a minute. These are believers. These are holy brethren. These are partakers in a heavenly calling. They're already partakers in eternity. So why is it they need to consider Jesus? The same reason we need to consider Jesus. Because too many times we elevate pastors. We elevate priests. We elevate Sunday school teachers, deacons, trustees. Athletes, artists, musicians. We elevate all of these people over Jesus. And let me tell you something about your secular heroes. None of your secular heroes died specifically for you. None of them. Most of them have done absolutely nothing to benefit you. But yet, we still hold them in high regard. We still hold them in an esteem uh, that they are great. And most of them don't know us. But Jesus, he calls us by name. He's the apostle. He's the first apostle. Apostle means two things. It means ambassador. It means representative. It means someone who comes and speaks on the behalf of God. And you know one thing, me and somebody else was talking about it this week. One thing that I still have to wrestle my mind around, because, yeah, I'm a pastor, but I don't get it all. God sent God, because Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is God. There are three in one, one in three. You know what I'm talking about? But God sent God to be the messenger. God sent God to pay the punishment. God sent God to take on his own wrath. And God did all this for me and you. He was the apostle. Not only does apostle mean ambassador, it also needs beginning. 
The apostles were the beginning of this Christian movement. But that Christian movement didn't start with the 12. That Christian movement started with Christ. And here's the amazing thing. That Christian movement did not start when Christ came on the scene. That Christian movement started before the foundations of the earth even were created. Peter tells us clearly that before earth was even formed, that he had already set it in mind that Jesus would come and die for our sins. So even before earth was created, a lot of people say, well, why? Why did God allow that to happen? God already had it controlled. He already had it planned for it. He was going to come. He was going to die. Why? For our sins. But it also says he's the high priest. The job of the high priest... And we're going to get into this a lot more on down the road with Hebrews. But the job of the high priest was to make atonement for sin. So how would the high priest do this? Well, what would happen first would be the people would bring a spotless, blemishless animal. The prized animal of their flock. And they would come and they would present this sheep to the high priest. The high priest would then tell the person who brought the sheep to place your hand on the sheep as a symbol of your sin passing to the sheep. And then the high priest, a lot of people don't realize this, but the high priest would then do something that's pretty appalling to most of us. He'd hand you a knife. He would hand a knife to the individual and the individual had to cut that sheep's throat. The high priest didn't do that. The person had to do it. Then the high priest would take that blood and he would splash it on the altar. And in Exodus 24, we see the first blood of Moses splashing it on the altar for the children of Israel's sins. But you know what? It wasn't enough. They had to do it again. And they had to do it again. And they had to do it again. Yearly. Monthly. If it would have been me, it would have been weekly too. Why? Because they still continued in sin. But when Jesus come on, the high, come on the scene as the high priest, the true high priest, he didn't spill his blood on the altar before it had first been spilt on the cross. And it was spilt on the cross for each and every one of you. So why should we consider Jesus? Because nobody else has done that for me. Nobody else has done that for me. Are there people who would do that for me? Yeah, I know my mom would die for me. My mom will either die for me or kill for me one. But that still won't pay the debt that I owe. Are there people that I'd do that for? 
Do that for my boys. Do that for my wife. But you know what? Me sacrificing my life will not pay the debt that they owe. Why should we consider Jesus? (laughs) Better question. Why are we considering anything else? Let's pray. Father, first I want to say I'm sorry. Because there have been many times in my life, Lord, that I put other things above you. There's been times that I put my family before you. There's been times that I've even put this church before you, God. And for that, I repent. Father, I shouldn't have to consider your son again. But on a daily basis, I find myself in a war. In a war inside of me. Battling for my priorities. And so many times, Lord. So many times, you don't even make second. And I'm sorry. But Father, in light of the scripture... In light of what Jesus did for us, I pray, God, that you would convict all of our hearts to consider Jesus. Father, for some of us, we put our faith in people too much, and those people end up failing us. And we allow that, Lord, to determine where we stand in our walk with you. Forgive us. For some of us, Lord, we put pastors before you. We put Sunday school teachers before you. We put athletes and all these other things before you. And for that, I ask that you forgive us. But for some this morning, Lord, this may be the first time that they've ever considered Jesus. And Father, this morning, if that be the case, I pray that you would draw your children to yourself. Father, thank you for what you've done for us. But thank you, Lord, for giving us something to truly look to, something to truly admire. Thank you, Lord, for sending your son, Jesus. It's in his name I pray. Amen. As the praise team comes up, three things I want you to think about. Do you have things in proper perspective? Are your priorities in check? Because a lot of times, the reason we don't consider Jesus is because we consider other things first. So this morning as they sing, if you need to get your life in check, consider Jesus. Is your faith rocky this morning? In other words, have you put your faith in people more than Jesus. And it's caused you to be unstable in your foundation with God. If so, I invite you to consider Jesus. And last, just as important, if you have never considered Jesus before in your life, this morning as they sing this song, as we stand,
And as we respond, I pray, consider Jesus. Hey guys, Pastor Scotty Gerard here, and I just wanted to say. Hey guys, Pastor Scotty Gerard here, and I just wanted to say thank you for joining us today. We really hope that this has been a resource that's helped you grow in your purpose for God, but also grow in His glory. We also want to extend an invitation to you to join us here in person at Harmony Grove. We are located at 1008 Town Creek School Road in Blairsville, Georgia. We would love for you to come be a part of our service, to be a part of our small groups. If you have children, we have children's classes on Wednesday night and on Sunday morning. And all this information can be found on our website. We'd also like to continue help you in your growth with Christ. If you have a question, maybe a prayer request, or just need to talk to somebody, you can contact us in the emails below in the description, or you can also contact us through our app and through our website, which are also found in the description below. Again, we hope this has been a blessing to you because we know that you joining us today has been a great blessing to us. Thank you so much. God bless.